And I'm going to invite you to open a Bible to Matthew chapter 9. This spring, we're looking at a, a series of episodes from the life and ministry of Jesus in which he shows us as a church what it means to share the good news with others. So I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 9, an appropriate reminder for us on a day in which our presbytery, our geographic district of churches, will install Mike Urich as an associate pastor here. Because it's a reminder to us of the mission of the church. What have we been called to do? And so looking at the ministry of Jesus, we see his mission for us. As the Father sent Jesus into the world, says Jesus sends us. And so I'm going to read from Matthew 9. I'm just going to read a few verses here. And if you're using a Bible that's, that's right there in the pew rack, it's page 964. I'm going to start at Matthew 9, verse 35. This is a summary of what's taken place in Matthew's gospel in these first nine chapters. Matthew 9, verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, as we listen to your word, I pray that you would encourage us, instruct us, challenge us in the hope of what Jesus has done. Embolden us for this mission of going into the harvest field. Lord, I pray for those who, who sit with us this morning, perhaps invited, maybe even dragged along by a family member, who doubt the truthfulness of what we've read, who doubt the reality of, of who you are. And so, Lord, speak with clarity today. Use me as your servant to, to announce your good news. Lord, for those of us who are, who are burdened down, who feel the weight and the sorrow, the sadness, who long for the healing from disease and sickness, Lord, remind us of your great comfort, your power, your transforming work in our lives. And Lord, embolden us as a church to make the gospel of Jesus known. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My dad was studying as a Bible college student, and he was, went to Romania with a, on a mission trip from our church. He was there to, to train church leaders in Romania in evangelism, how to share the gospel. My dad was training to be a pastor. He was on a team from the church I grew up in, and he's there equipping brothers and sisters in Christ who are living behind the Iron Curtain. All right, now, kids, later today, ask your mom and dad to give you a summary of the evils of communism, of how dangerous it is. But, but to, to set the, the stage, Romania at the time, this was 1989, so right before the fall of the Iron Curtain, Romania was controlled by an evil dictator, Nicolae Ceausescu. He rejected any belief in God, and so... To call yourself a Christian, put your very life at risk. 
But the church in Romania still had good news to share. And so my dad is there to help train leaders in, in how they can, can do this, teaching them how they can tell other people of what Jesus has done for them. My dad notices on Sunday morning, after they've done a week of, of training with leaders, that, that this church has a problem. See, there are four pastors on the staff of this church, but only one is there on Sunday morning. There were a, a dozen or so ordained leaders in the church, elders, deacons, and only two are in church on Sunday. So my dad pulls Pastor Nick aside and says, I, I think you have a problem. I don't, I don't think we're going to convince the church to be sharing the gospel if your leaders aren't serious enough about their faith to even show up at church on Sunday morning. Pastor Nick, it, like, he's not computing. My, my dad describes it. It was like, like he, he was, he, my dad was speaking on the, the FM radio dial, but Pastor Nick had it turned to AM. All right, kids, that's an analogy that takes us back to 1989, so you can have your mom and dad explain that to you later. But they, they just weren't connecting. Pastor Nick didn't, under, didn't even understand the, the complaint or the, the, the feedback. And so, so my dad presses again. I, I, I don't think your church is going to get serious about evangelism if your leaders aren't serious enough to show up for church on Sunday morning. Well, now, now Pastor Nick has figured it out. Jack, they're not here because they're out in the villages preaching the gospel. Why would they come here when our neighbors haven't yet heard about Jesus. That, that ministry leader, he's, he's, he's preaching in a barn, gathered under threat to their lives. Others are in living rooms and basements. They're, they're out into the mountains preaching the gospel. Why would they be here? We have good news to share. Well, it was a paradigm shift for my dad. He, he told the senior pastor who was leading the, the missions team, the pastor of my, my church that I grew up in, he said, I don't think I'm coming back to church when we get home. And he came most weeks, but lots of Sundays my dad was out preaching under a tent, taking the gospel into the community, the car shows and racing events, preaching with the, the, the police, because the church has a message that needs to go out to our neighbors. That's what Jesus is saying. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. See, Jesus is sending the church, sending his disciples. And, and, and the first thing I, I want us to notice is that Jesus sees the desperate need of the people around him. Notice how, how Matthew is, is giving us a summary of, of what's taking place. And actually, this is almost an exact repetition of a verse that came back in, in chapter 4 of Matthew's gospel. That Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. That's the ministry of Jesus. I mean, Matthew is kind of saying, I, I've only given you a glimpse of some of the things Jesus did. I couldn't tell you all of the stories. It would take too long. I, I don't have that much ink to, to write with. So let me just summarize it for you. Jesus is teaching, preaching, taking good news, transforming lives, healing diseases and sickness. 
And then look at verse 36 with me. Jesus' response to the crowds. Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That, that word there for, for compassion is, is, a, is a powerful, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it, it's, it's an emotional, evocative word. It's a, a pity, a deep longing, that, the kind of longing and, and sorrow and sadness that you feel in the pit of your stomach. It's a, it's a desperate love for the people that he sees. And, and our translators have been, have been kind to us because they've, they've taken that, that next phrase and they've actually softened it a little bit for us. But the image there of the people being harassed and helpless, it's the same language you would use to describe an animal whose flesh has been, has been ripped open. It literally means that like, like a, a sheep who has been flayed, a, a, a sheep who has been ripped apart by wild animals, that's what Jesus sees. He sees people hurting and in desperate situation. He says they are like sheep without a shepherd. Now, Matthew has quoted from the Old Testament throughout his gospel, and so he would expect us to, to pick up on that imagery, the imagery of a shepherd caring for sheep. Now, you know enough about sheep if you've listened to Bible stories, even if you've never visited a, a farm, that sheep are really dumb. They have trouble finding water and food even if there aren't dangers around. And yet with danger, they are helpless. And, and it's an image that, that's used throughout the Bible. You know it from, from Psalm 23, that most famous of Psalms, the Lord is my shepherd. But it's an image that's used through the prophets. And, and the prophet Ezekiel uses this as image of the shepherds of the people of God abandoning their posts. The, the people, the leaders of God's people had failed them. And so in Ezekiel 34, and you could flip there if you want, Ezekiel's one of the, the big prophets in the, middle of the old, in the middle of your Bible. And so if you can find uh, Isaiah or Jeremiah, he's right after, right after them. But in Ezekiel 34, God uses the image of failed shepherds. Shepherds who had failed to protect their sheep. It's the same kind of language that, that Matthew is using to describe the situation in Matthew 9. In Ezekiel 34, we read, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals. But you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for the wild animals. So that's the, the image that Matthew is picking up on. An image that's repeated not only here in Ezekiel, but you could find it in Jeremiah as well. That the people of God have been abandoned by their spiritual leaders. They are being scattered and harmed and ripped apart. But there's also, in the, the need that Jesus sees, the hope then of his response, because Ezekiel 34 will continue. J jump ahead to verse 11 with me in Ezekiel 34. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. 
I myself will search for my sheep. I will look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. Or verse 15, I myself will tend to my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. God promises to be the shepherd. See, Jesus, in, in, Matthew, in Matthew 9, his compassion is provoked, not merely by the, the, the depth of sickness and disease that he has seen, but by the spiritual need of the people. See, as soon as Matthew brings in this imagery of a, of a sheep and shepherds, we know that he's talking not merely about the physical needs of sheep, but he's talking about our spiritual needs. And so when Jesus looks at the crowds, he has compassion on them because spiritually they have been torn apart. Spiritually they have been abandoned. They are like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is showing great compassion to them. And so he sends his disciples. But here I understand that, that, that we have a hesitation toward evangelism, toward telling others about the good news. Because to some of us, or maybe to, to all of us at times, it feels like an impersonal proselytizing, that you're imposing your beliefs on someone else. And that what right do I have to, to tell somebody else what, what he or she should believe? And, and, and at its worst, this kind of attitude then, and maybe this is one of your objections to, to Christians as a whole, to Christianity, is that you felt like people have just treated you. Christians have just treated you like a project. They didn't really care about you. They just needed to get through their checklist of things they were supposed to do. They just needed to shout something at you without ever listening to you. And if that's what we mean by evangelism, that's not what Jesus is sending his disciples to do. Not shout news unlovingly at others. Because what is his response? It's deep compassion. He sees a spiritual need. That's the way we should go. Jesus looks at each person and loves him. Jesus sees their wounds. Jesus declares himself to be the rescuer. And so when we go with the gospel, we're not merely trying to impose our beliefs. We're going in the name of a Savior who gave himself for those that are hurting. Because Jesus sees the need, but, but then he sends his Disciples, that's the, the prayer, and that, that's the, what, he's, what he's saying in verses 37 and 38. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And if, if, if we keep going in Matthew, the, the, this is one of the places where the, the, the chapter break might, might hurt us a little bit, because we assume that end of chapter, next scene but remember, the, the numbers were added much later just to help you find it when you turn in your Bible. Because it's only page 964 if you were using the exact same printed version. Otherwise, you had to turn to Matthew 9, verse 35. And so, so chapter 10 flows immediately from chapter 9. Jesus, speaking to his disciples, then called his 12 disciples. Look at chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him. He gave them authority to drive out evil spirits, to heal every disease and sickness. And then verse 5, he sent them out. 
See, Jesus saw the need, he acknowledged the need, he asked the church to, to gather in prayer, and then he begins right away sending the disciples. And he sends them out into hard and difficult situations. If, if you take time, maybe even later today, to, to read through the rest of chapter 10, you're going to see the dangers that the disciples will face. But Jesus is saying, do not be afraid of what will come. I'm sending you, verse 1, with my authority, with my transforming work. See, Jesus is at work. That's what he says. The harvest is plentiful. It's time to, to reap the harvest. There are people responding, coming to faith because God is at work. And so ask the Lord of the harvest to send people out. Jesus is at work. He is rescuing sheep. He is bringing in the harvest. And so we are called to go. We are called to pray that God would send out workers into his harvest field. The field is his. The workers are his. The crop is his. It's all his. Now, I'm doing some research for, for school on the, a preacher from the last century, Donald Gray Barnhouse. And, and part of what I, what I discovered is that he came to faith as a teenager. He was invited to go to a, a church conference, a convention where he would hear the gospel. And, and I've seen, just really in passing, the name of the man who led him to Christ, Tom Haney. But it's only ever mentioned in passing that he was led to Christ in July of, of 1910 by Tom Haney. So I wanted to learn a little bit about, more about him so that I could, could further the, the research. Tom Haney was a cowboy from Nevada. He'd come to California to go to the Bible Institute of Los Angeles. But while he was a student there, he was preaching the gospel at youth conventions, which is where he shared the gospel one-on-one. -on -one with Donald Barnhouse. But he was also on weekends and, and, and during the week, he would, he would fly an airplane. This is 19, like this is the, like 1910. There aren't many people flying airplanes. He would fly an airplane out into the Mojave Desert because there were thousands of men camped in makeshift villages building an aqueduct to bring water to Los Angeles. And so he was the cowboy of the skies. That was his nickname. He was among the, the six graduates in the first graduating class from Biola from the Bible Institute. And so I kept reading his story. He, in July of 1913, got married. Within the month, he and his wife were accepted and approved as missionaries with Africa Inland Mission, and they sailed in September of 1913 for Africa. By February of 1914, Tom Haney was dead. Now, I already knew that. Everybody who graduated in the first graduating class of Biola is dead. They were born in the 1800s. Everybody I'm researching is already dead. But reading that detail, that note, brought me to tears. In the long line of those who responded to the call to go, knowing that their very lives were at risk, Tom Haney went. See, because that's what it is to understand what Jesus is saying. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers, the workers are few. The need is great. The command of the Savior is clear. We are called to go. And did you notice back in verse 35 the, the, the way in which Matthew describes the ministry of Jesus, that Jesus is preaching the good news of the kingdom? 
That means Jesus is the king with all power and authority. We see his authority in chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus is the king with all authority. And that means if you and I understand the good news of the kingdom, we as his followers will declare him to be king. We'll pledge allegiance to him. We'll say, wherever you send me, I will go. You're the king with absolute authority. And so I'm asking you today, Jesus is, is demanding that we acknowledge his authority over us as a church, as individuals. Declare him to be the king of your life. Now that's, that, that feels gigantic. And some of you, yes, it is going to be gigantic because you're going to do something like go with Africa Inland Mission to another part of the world. That's going to be what he expects of you or me. But maybe it's smaller to start. Maybe it's as simple to declare that Jesus is king in your life, to invite somebody to join you on Easter Sunday for worship. A day in which lots of people, actually statistics would show that most people, if personally invited, would come with you. Yeah, you might have somebody who's really resistant, who's really cantankerous, who would just say, no. You might have people that are out of town that can't join you. But most people, when invited, particularly on Easter, would come. Maybe a small way to declare Jesus' authority over your life is to show up on the Saturday before Easter to the Easter egg hunt. And to summon up the courage, because Jesus sent you, to go and welcome somebody here, a visitor. To ask them some of their story. Introduce yourself to a guest. But for all of us, the command is clear. There's one thing that we can do. J.C. Ryle, a, a preacher of, of, a, of a previous century, says, yes, we can go. We can give to support others who go. But the most important thing we do, the best thing we can do is, look at verse 38, is pray. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. See, because prayer changes the, 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 the way that other people view their role in the mission. When you pray, God is at work in other people's hearts and lives. But you, you, you do recognize the danger of what I'm asking you to do then, right? If you are praying because you see the need for workers, then the heart that might get changed might be yours. The one who is called to go will be you. That's the mission of the church. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. There is no way to genuinely pray that prayer and put your feet up and say, but, but not me. No, I'm not saying you have, to, you have to book a ship to the other side of the world, but I am saying you must go with the gospel. And we go because we see the compassion of Jesus. We see that when he looks out at the crowds, a sorrow, a sadness wells up deep within him. He sees people that are harassed and helpless, spiritually without hope, without a shepherd to guide them, without someone to announce good news to them. But Jesus does more than look upon the crowds. Yes, we were reminded in verse 35 that he's healing them, but ultimately he will heal only a small percentage of people alive at that time. But the Gospel of Matthew is pointing us to the greater hope we all have, the rescue we all need from Jesus. That Jesus is the one who heals every sickness and disease. 
Now, that's, that has to be hyperbole if we're talking about what Jesus had physically done in the last several months. But spiritually, it's true. Jesus heals every sickness and disease. And how? Jesus, who saw the crowds harassed and helpless, allows himself to be harassed. Allows himself to be treated as if he were helpless. Jesus goes to the cross. That's the depth of his love. The sorrow that that wells up within him leads him from Matthew chapter 9 to the end of the gospel to the cross where Jesus gives his life for those that are harassed and helpless. See, when you see the depth of Jesus' love, when you hear that he is sending you, when you are reminded of the gospel, then you and I are called to go, to share the good news Jesus is the Savior. He is the rescuer. He is the great shepherd. We are those sent with his authority into his harvest field. I heard the testimony of this week, this week of a woman involved in a local Christian ministry, and she gave me permission to, to share it with you. Cindy didn't hear the gospel when she was growing up. She and her sister were both in college when her sister came to faith in Jesus Christ. They were at different schools, but close enough to visit. And so when Cindy would go and visit her sister on weekends, her sister would drag her along to church. She would share the gospel with her, but, but she also, her sister knew that, you know, sometimes sisters maybe are too close, that you just, you don't listen to family, that they can be the hardest people to share the gospel with. So what Cindy did is every time she would introduce, or what Cindy's sister did is every time she would introduce Cindy at church, she would say, Cindy, this is my friend. Would you, how about you, why don't you share a little bit about what Jesus means to you? Or, hey, Cindy, this is somebody who's, who's in my Bible study with me. Could, could you share how you came to faith in Jesus Christ? She just kept making everybody else in church share the gospel with Cindy. But Cindy was, you know, intelligent. She's a college student. She, her, her view of the world has no room for even the existence of God, let alone the stuff that her sister is talking about. But she saw the change in her sister's life. She noticed something different about the way that those relationships in her church had transformed her sister. And one night, Cindy describes it. She says she's back in her dorm room asleep in the middle of the night, and some pranksters throw firecrackers under the crack in her door. And she says, have you ever heard firecrackers go off in a 10 by 10 concrete block? She thought it was the end of the world. And she, she bolts out of bed and she cries out, dear Jesus, save me. And she thought, that doesn't even make sense. I don't even believe that there is a God. That, that, that can't be the, the response from, from me until she begins to realize maybe, maybe she does. So in the middle of the night, she called her sister. Church, we are the workers sent into the harvest field. There's good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus is the king who gave his life. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Let me pray for us.
Father in heaven, we rejoice in the hope of Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel. Lord, make us a church that is bold in our witness, willing to share the good news of Jesus with others. Father, we ask that you would, for those that that sit here like Cindy, wondering if you are even real, Lord, that you would make yourself known by the power of your gospel. So, Father in heaven, we rejoice in the hope of Jesus Christ. We come praying in his name. Amen.